We just live right now, man. It's going down, excited for the season. You know, we coming off a playoff win. I mean, you know, we had a couple wins. On the streets of old Milwaukee was a young boy walking. Somebody needs to take this mic away from you. You never need to hold it again. It's always a hater in the group. Hello and welcome to the Brew Hoop podcast. Finally, after weeks of waiting, we have our whole band back together. It's, of course, Adam Paris, co-managing editor of BrewHoop.com, leading this uh, charade that we have here with uh, Riley Feldman and Kyle Carr. We're all back together. Times are happy. The Bucks are winning, I think, doing well after this weird kind of last week. Uh, Riley and Kyle, how are you guys doing? I'm mourning the loss of Pau Gasol, who um, I'm, early reports were not really sure what happened, but there's definitely a chance he twisted his ankle while sitting. Um, so whatever happens, I think that's going to be a tough beat for the Bucks. So we're just going to have to see how it goes from there. And I'm doing okay. Um, I'm still sad about Dante's injury, but I did have a good birthday week. So thanks everyone that wished me a happy birthday. Other than the Bucks last Sunday, that was not nice. What was uh what was the 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 highlight of birthday week besides the Bucks loss? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, you know, I went to La Taguara in Madison and Swagat, so a Venezuelan restaurant and a Indian restaurant. Both my parents and Emma's parents took me out to dinner both for those times, and the food is just fantastic. So getting two free dinners always a plus. What's Are you what's sure? Venice- oh. Oh, go ahead, Riley. I was going to say, are you sure it wasn't watching Minnesota make it to the second round of the tournament and watching the Badgers get bounced in the first game, or was that just me? Th- that was just you. Oh, yeah, okay. it was 100% <laughs> okay. just you. I was going to yeah. give you one minute at the end of the pod to uh, oh, okay. <laughs> shine, but you don't and get you've it you've already thrown it away. Yeah, oh, I got yeah, it in yeah. at least. I got the lick in at least. Yeah, they looked good yesterday. Um... <laughs> <laughs> How dare you, sir? Well, hey, hey, hey. hey uh, shout out to the Badgers being the only team to lose in round one. Very impressive fashion. Yeah, I, I, I was like a huge, I was a huge Badger fan growing up. I always watched him with my, with my dad and everything. And as I, as I've grown much more accustomed to NBA basketball, it has grown increasingly more difficult to watch the uh, Badgers play um, the sport of basketball. It's just tough watching college seeing... basketball in general. <laughs> you telling me seeing Mister Hep posted up underneath the basket time after time isn't doing it for you? Look, Riley, his array of post moves could certainly translate <laughs> yeah, to the next level. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I really think he has some potential there. All right, have you do you have you seen his how he stuffs the stat score? How he stuffs the box score? I mean, he passes out of the post. Um, he can only dribble. for Brad Davison to clank it off the rim for the eighth time. Yeah, I I I really think this Badgers team could compete with the best of the best. Um, except this is for- like this is like one of those conversations. Like, would Alabama be able to beat like the lowliest <laughs> NFL team? Like, would Wisconsin of this year be able to beat the uh, I don't know who's the worst team, the Knicks of this year? <laughs> Potentially. Oh God! All right. Well, we don't need to talk about Wisconsin basketball anymore. Let's talk <laughs> about um, the Milwaukee Bucks, who had an interesting week. I think Riley and I went pretty deep on that Sixers game last week. By far the most interesting game of this past week, especially considering Giannis sat out for two of the games against the Lakers and the Cavaliers last uh, Tuesday and Wednesday night. Let's let's start, guys, just going over sort of the week that was, and let's start with that 115-101 victory over the Lakers. Middleton goes off for 30 points, 10 rebounds, uh, 5 assists. Brooke Lopez has 28 points in that one. 
Miritich has 23. Of course, he gets injured. We'll touch on that a little bit later. But uh, was there anything that stood out to you from that game, Riley? For me, it just kind of felt like it was. It felt like a sort of a taking care of business game. Kentavious Caldwell Pope kept the Lakers in it almost single handedly. But but beyond that, it was it was nice to see Milton get some shine. Yeah, I was going to say. I think the takeaway from the Lakers game, and then just throughout the week in general, was the fact that Middleton seems to be in true Middleton fashion, rounding into form as we get closer to the playoffs here, which is super duper welcome. Um, and that's even doubly welcome because in the past when Giannis would sit, I think Chris, I wouldn't, I didn't really go back to look at what his stat line was for other games that Giannis sat in, but um, the fact that he was able to step up and have a couple of efficient nights, whereas, you know, obviously even just like a week ago, we were like, Oh, he's being really inconsistent lately. Um, So just to get one good solid week against, I mean, relatively lowly competition, but to start off with the Lakers with 30 and then kind of follow it up in a losing effort to the Cavs, but to still kind of, be able to utilize him a little bit more, even though Giannis isn't out there. I think that's a positive and we'll just kind of have to see how that translates into the playoffs. But I'd say that in the Lakers game um, and that's just the week in general is one of my biggest takeaways. Yeah. I think the Cavaliers that, that one Oh seven, one Oh two loss that the Bucks had over in Cleveland, as my friend's father calls it, the mistake on the lake. Hey. Um, <laughs> I, I had never heard that before, but I find it hilarious. Um, Anyway, so the Bucks lose 107-102 in that game. I think those games sort of go part and parcel, as Riley was talking about, with Giannis missing both of them. Kyle, was there anything that stood out between those those two games in this past week between the, the Lakers and the Cavaliers game? Well, I was going to say, Riley kind of touched on it, that Middleton, he had a really good week overall. I mean, and I'm sure we'll talk about the Heat game, but, you know, especially in that Cleveland game, he started out, you know, four of six from three within, I think, the first quarter. So things were looking really good. At least he was feeling it, and it was – Yes, especially the Cleveland game, there's just not enough bodies. And even if they had a day of rest, I think Milwaukee would have won, but just on a back-to-back and only eight players that were able to play. And, you know, some players were just not playing well at all. Um, It's pretty much – it was not a loss that I had expected, but I think with one of Brogdon, Giannis, or Mirtich playing – I think that would have been different, but, you know, Colin Sexton and Jordan Clarkson taking 35 shots and hitting like 18 of them. I mean, you can live with them taking that many shots. It's just they actually made them. So that was kind of the tough part. Um, otherwise, yeah, it was mainly Milton that looked good this whole week. I mean, Brooke had a couple moments. Ursan had a couple moments. Bledsoe, not so much. But it was it's just kind of a weird week just because of how shorthanded they were. And it just seemed like it was injury after injury after injury within this week that it just made things. I mean, some Bucks fans panicked losing to Cleveland. I was not one of them. I was just say you had eight bodies that I just played the night before against a team that, you know, their inefficient shooters were hitting shots like shit happens. So are you guys concerned at all that when Bud is up against the wall, he's not willing to be flexible and put Bonzi Colson in for <laughs> his 30 minutes that everybody demands? Yeah, that was that was the weirdest take I've ever seen, <laughs> to say the least. Oh, the idea of Bonzi Colson doing anything, dear God. Uh, I, I haven't watched any of his game. Yeah, that, that Cleveland game was a, was a tough watch, I'll admit it. DJ Wilson finished at minus 24 for plus minus content, minus 20, Frazier minus 7. Those were the three bench guys. So it tells you all you need to know that you only could put in three bench guys. All the starters were positives, which was the interesting fact about that game. Um but also, you know, I mean, at some point, I, I, I'm glad that Middleton sort of stepped up and, 
looked uh, efficient, you know, scored well, um, definitely took some of the, the playmaking burden away from other guys. I thought one of the interesting things is that I feel like Bledsoe had a little bit of a tough week. In that Cleveland game, he still managed to fill up the box score, 24, 8, and 8. But it, it's interesting when when Giannis is out, You, I would kind of expect Bledsoe to maybe feel like he wants to sort of take the, you know, take the... <clears throat> take the, take the reins here and, and, and lead a little bit more, but he kind of feels like he sort of flits in and out irregardless of whether Giannis is there or not. Did, did you, did you sort of feel that way, uh, Riley with, with, with Bledsoe's sort of odd week, both, you know, on, on and off shooting and, um, you know, decent stat lines. But other than that, I mean, it didn't feel like he was ever like someone who was in control of these games. Yeah. I think it's weird because especially when Giannis is out, he obviously becomes even more so the primary ball handler and kind of creator of, or starter of offensive sets. Um, and I'm not sure how much of it is he has difficulty kind of readjusting back to being, I mean, obviously as Middleton as a co-star, but it's definitely not the same, just the way the system works when Giannis is out there versus when he's not. Um, and that's even more so in a week where it's not even just like he's out of the lineup or just like out, you know, getting rest for a couple of minutes. It's like the entire game. So I think we can probably attribute it to he's stuck almost in between gears. Like you were saying where he's able to still kind of fall back on the way he used to play and get you the stats that you're looking for, but it's not nearly as efficient or not nearly as effective as it usually is when you have, you know, one of the league's best players kind of soaking up a lot of the attention. So I wouldn't say that I'm really concerned that it's, you know, a mark of something that might, linger for a couple of weeks here um i'm not going in like oh he's probably going to fall flat again in the playoffs i think it's just a matter of trying to adjust for the fact like in the Cavs game there's not many other options besides him and milton to focus on and then i think it's it's i mean it's just, just tough because those two him and Giannis play a two-man game so often and even when he, Giannis was back in Miami or it, during the Miami game, he only had Blitz only had nine points. So even that wasn't all that great of a game. But I think in general, it's probably more so a true, a true attributable. I can't pronounce words um, to the fact that Giannis was out more than anything. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking too. The interesting thing about that Cleveland game was I, I honestly, it's weird. I didn't really even recognize it or, or feel like I this was happening during the time. But even though Wilson finished at minus twenty four. He's had a rough shooting week. He went one for nine in that game. I think he was like one for seven against the Lakers, but he also had eight rebounds, five assists, and three steals. Uh, I, you know, Kyle, he's obviously been sort of a guy who people have, have rallied behind in the Bucks community trying to get him off the bench. But I do have to say, I, I, I think it's really fascinating to see how these players have grown, just like compared to like how Rashad Vaughn actually seemed like he was uh, a shadow on the court, like not really doing anything. But the fact that like DJ Wilson has sort of, been able to flash some of this this expanded game. I mean, even lo- like lodging five assists in a game for a big man is, uh, I-, I would say, a pretty impressive feat for a guy who was just not really doing anything last year. Yeah, and I think with Rashad Vaughn, it was simply if he couldn't hit shots, he couldn't be on the court. Even though he was kind of an average at best defender and had moments, it he's kind of what it was a guard who was specifically there to be a shooter and he couldn't hit his shots. While DJ Wilson. It's like, yeah, maybe he won't hit his shots, but he can still play good enough defense or grab enough rebounds or, like you said, have that playmaking side of him. So that's something that I'm kind of curious about. But, yes, we got the hashtag free DJ, and then he had that Cleveland game, and, well, <laughs> it was, yeah. I mean, I don't like, believe in DJ Wilson, but. 
it was like summer league DJ all over again. Like I went back just to watch a couple of the highlights and like all of his shots. It was like the most DJ Wilson of two summers ago, DJ Wilson game. Like he's not really like sort of not even initiating offense, but it was a lot of weird, like step back jumpers, like mid rangers that don't <laughs> make sense. And like, but still he would get a couple of rebounds and assists. Like it was, it was a weird throwback game for DJ, but I guess that's what happens when you have to throw him out for like 30 minutes on a random Wednesday in Cleveland. Yeah. Plus, it was like he seems to have gotten intimidated by like Tristan Thompson and Larry Nance and Kevin Love. It's like I don't what what the heck? I don't understand how that happened, but you know, it was just that Cleveland game, yeah, he didn't play well. Bledsoe, yeah, he filled up the box score, but it was a very inefficient shooting night. It seemed like Middleton was the only one that came out of that game looking good. But again, it is what it is. Ape bodies on a back-to-back is not ideal but i am curious to see because it seemed like dj wilson did rebound a little bit better like he played a lot better in the miami game and even just before in the philly game he hit three or four threes and three of them were in the corner so it it was just a i think it was just an ebb and flow you know that's what you're gonna get with a young player who didn't get much burn and then he's kind of thrusted into the fire and has to you know sink or swim at that moment and in cleveland he sunk while in miami he swam yeah, that's totally fair. The, the the trepidation at the rim against some of those bigger guys has certainly borne out this year. I mean, he's only shooting. He hasn't doesn't have many attempts at all, but he's only has 47 attempts on this season. He's 25 out of 47 in terms of field goal percentage at the rim, just 53%. That's in the seventh percentile for bigs per cleaning the glass. So obviously a lot of us know that that's, that's not going to be his primary role, but you could certainly see some of those issues when he was trying to finish near the rim in these past couple of games. But regardless of that, let's stop talking about the games without Giannis because those are not suck. really because they suck. <laughs> and uh, let's talk about the 116-87 win over the Heat. Uh, Giannis had 27 points, 8 rebounds, 7 assists. Middleton chimed in with 18 points, 8 boards, 10 assists, nearing a triple-double there, of course. Offense looked a lot more in sync. It seemed to have a lot more flow to it. They had 30, the Bucks had 33 assists in that game, 25 and 24 in the other two without Giannis. That's not too far off their regular typical assist per game count. It looks like they average around 26 per game. So those other two weren't eight, weren't atypical or anything, but this one, so the 33 might've been atypical, but it felt like there was a lot of flow to the offense and it really just showed Riley what, how potent this Bucks team is when they actually are making shots at a, a proficient clip. You know, they shoot, 50% from the three-point line. I mean, the fact that it feels like if, if the Bucks are, are shooting anywhere near that percentage from deep, they're almost unbeatable, right? Yeah, I think uh, I think Gabe wrote in his post-game that if the Bucks shot over 50% from the floor, they had been 22-1 and one on the season. So obviously, just like the sheer wins bears that out. And again, I mean, we've talked about it time and time again, and it's sort of a trope, but this is just the way basketball ends up working out, especially when you have a system that's so centered around Giannis's sheer existence and the way that he plays that he's back out there. He has a really awesome night from the floor. He keeps up his, you know, monthly average of one ankle tweak a game that gets everybody's heart stopping. Um, and then it kind of opens everything up and lo and behold, when you have a lot more guys available and you have all the space generated by Giannis's, it's just being out there. It goes a lot better and you're able to get better looks. And obviously there's a little bit of variance when it comes to, whether or not shots actually go in from three, we can, that's kind of another just aspect of having an offense, jump shooting offense, like we talked about, but having them out there means you get better shots, better shots means usually they go in at a higher rate you hope, and then you smack the heat. So it's all good. 
Yeah, Kyle. It, I mean, this is this is a potential first round matchup for the Bucks. The the Heat and the Orlando um, John Hammonds are sort of vying for that eight seed down there. The John Hammonds. <laughs> <laughs> um, shout out to shout out to that guy. Loves his tall men. Um, and I, you know, it feels like the Heat are always. A, we always say they're like a tough matchup for the Bucks, and I, I think that's certainly been true supposed a great coach they have a sort of an interesting fleet of players that are, are pretty switchable they run this zone defense occasionally but when you look at the results this year i mean the bucks one loss against them was 87 to 94 they just have a putrid putrid shooting night from the floor and then the other three are it's in order a, a, a one you know 113 to 98 win a 124 to 86 win and a 116 to 87 win so i, I have to imagine that you're not too concerned about if we see the heat in the first round, not even a little bit scared. Although <laughs> if you ask Skip Bayless, Miami is the team that the Bucks need the fear, which of course it's Skip Bayless. So I'm not going to take any seriousness with that tweet, but no, it was, I mean, the one day Milwaukee <laughs> did lose in Miami. It was on a back-to-back, like they played in Boston at eight o'clock Eastern time. And that game ended. And then they had to fly over land at 4am and then try and turn on and play a game the next day. Like you're not going to do well, but I think, you know, last year, yeah, Miami would have been a tough team for Milwaukee to play against just because, you know, Miami has a rim protector in Hassan Whiteside. They have James Johnson, who can kind of guard Giannis pretty well, and they're a lot more physical, which, you know, last year when the Bucks' offense was here, Giannis, Middleton, Bledsoe do something, and I don't know. Well, now there's an actual offensive game plan. There's shooters on the court, and it spaces it out, and that's the big difference is – you can take away the white side factor just by having Brooke Lopez take a three pointer. And you, when you have shooters on the court, it kind of helps that it spreads it out a little bit more and Giannis can beat anyone one-on-one. So I'm not really afraid of Miami granted. I think Orlando would be an easier matchup, but there's, I'm not neither team really. I could see winning more than a game. Like I could see Miami winning a game three or game four, just because, you know, Miami nightlife might hit and Milwaukee <laughs> have a poor shooting night. But yeah, I, I think Miami is just a team that, you know, they can give you fits, but they're not going to give you enough fits that it's going to be that tough of a series. Yeah. You're kind of splitting hairs at that point. And hopefully, like you said, the guys don't do like a pre-celebratory. We won the first round uh, night in South beach or something like that. But I agree that, one of the, I don't know if you can say it's really a big takeaway since we played the Heat well pretty much all season long, including that like sixty-five point comeback, whatever, two weeks ago. Um, <laughs> but I think just in the context of this one specific game, like you said, Adam, or like you said, Kyle, just the fact that they got back on track offensively, and the fact that you were able to get out of there with all the starters getting under thirty minutes of play, which is super duper awesome, especially with how much run some of the guys had to have earlier in the week. Plus, we should mention. Ursan with a plus 26 with the suck it haters plus 26. So keep that in mind <laughs> for all those calling for free DJ. Keep that number in mind, please. Yeah. The, uh, I mean, Ursan, honestly, since, um, it's like partway through the season. I mean, he had that weird spell after he came back from the concussion where, um, I don't, I don't know what was going on there, but he just wasn't able to make shots. Uh, and, and maybe something, his equilibrium is finally back. And so he's, he's nailing shots four of six, three of three from deep. 13 points in that game, of course. Yeah, the Heat are such a weird, odd team. I mean, like the fact that, just the fact that Justice Winslow, what was that, like two seasons ago, was, didn't they, they like started him at center or something? 
in one game. They started him at like power forward, and now he's he was like their point. He's like their point guard this year. Yeah, I, I don't know. That, yeah, they're kind of just trying to see yeah. if Justice Winslow can do anything on the court. Which coming out of Duke, he was known as this guy that can play multiple positions. It could be a shutdown defender. But this might be taken a little bit too far. Expected to be like a point guard. Yeah, it's been. Uh, they're an odd team, and certainly the difference between Orlando and, and Miami is is fascinating. Spo has certainly has a lot more playoff coaching experience. Uh, Orlando kind of seems like they would. I mean, they would just be losing their mind to even get in the playoffs. I think like, I'm sure their owner would just be like counting all of the extra dollars that he gets from those playoff game tickets. So all of the ten people in the Amway Center on each game. <laughs> I will say I'm Orlando sorry. being in playoff contention should be a win in itself for them, considering how bad they've been the past ten years. John Hammond, team fixer. That's what you call him. Bring him in and he'll turn you around for sure. Yeah, 100%. That Obama pick looking good. All right, guys. <laughs> let's move <laughs> let's, uh, let, let's move on because these, ga- these, games, these games were fine, but they're honestly, they meant almost nothing to me. Uh, let's touch on the Nikola Miritich injury. <laughs> so I think that's a lot more uh, pertinent to this Bucks team and where we have them going this season. So, of course, he hurt his, he hurt his hand. Um, on a draw basically drawing a foul on mo wag mo Vag, mo wagner yeah mo wagner um i think that's right you, you study like uh you study european history right riley is that how it would be pronounced so yes it the w in german is pronounced like a v so it'd be vo, mo wagner would be the okay so cool so mo wagner come on this podcast <laughs> basically got his face in nikola miritich's uh hand Miritich has a slight fracture of his left thumb. They expected him to be out two to four weeks. It looked like, uh, but it's, it sounded like, I think Bud said something like he expected him to be back in time for the playoffs. So really these last couple weeks, I'm not too concerned about it. These last couple weeks will just kind of be like getting some more run for guys like DJ Wilson. Um, most importantly. And I, I guess I was curious, Kyle, who do you think his absence might benefit most out of anyone on this book's bench? Um, you, you know, or or how, who, who, even in the starting lineup, because obviously he was starting before this, and Tony Snell moved into the starting lineup. So, who do you think that his his extended absence here towards the end of the season might benefit? Surprisingly, Ursano Ilyasova. Ooh, you beat me to the punch. I honestly think. I mean, Urson has played well in the past month. After I ragged on him and said he should probably sit on the bench while DJ Wilson should get more minutes, I fully admit that he has turned it around and good for him. Him. And I think Ursan is going to have more of that veteran experience to help guide the bench unit. Plus, he's going to be able to take a couple charges, as inferior as it is at times. But he's it looks like his shot's coming along. It He's still getting those classic Ursan tip-in baskets. So I think his veteran experience plus his improved play will give him more of a run with Miritich out because it's going to kind of be like, before the trade where he's one of the first guys off the bench and he's going to be, you know, playing with that, you know, Giannis Ursan lineup or Jan or Ursan Brook lineup. So I think he's going to be the one that really benefits from this. I think DJ will also benefit just because he'll get more minutes and he'll kind of get a chance for an extended run. But I, I think Ursan's the biggest benefactor in second place would maybe be Tony Snell just so he can get slot into the starting lineup. Fewer lineups where Ursan and Miritich are out there together and just getting burned time after time is probably for the best for Ursan. No, I would agree that Ursan is probably a candidate. I oddly enough picked uh, Mike Budenholzer as the biggest winner, which is kind of counterintuitive. But the way that I kind of looked at it was, yes, like he's going to be forced to get a little bit more creative with his lineups, but 
I think it might be helpful for him to kind of go through a trial period to get an idea of as we have, I think there's only like nine games left. Like who is it on the bench that I can, that I actually rely upon or who is most effective or kind of get an idea now that all the pieces are here. Yes. You're missing Miritich, but in general, like what do these guys look like? And I kind of went back. Um, I went back to the 2014, 2015 season just to look at how Budenholzer constructed his lineups in the um, playoffs. And he ran like here, let me pull it all up here. So he ran eight guys out there for 14 of the 16 games. Um, he had 11 guys who were averaging, you know, 10 plus more, 10 or more minutes per game, um, which is pretty long. But I think three of those guys were like just right around 10 minutes. So they were mostly either garbage time or just real spot minutes. And then most importantly, um, he ended up running his starters out there on average across the five of them, 34.72 minutes per game. So I think what this will be interesting is not so much the starters, just because that's relatively straightforward, but he can kind of get an idea. Is Tony Snell a guy that if we're going to have to be without Malcolm for the first round and part of the second, can I rely upon him or is somebody else off the bench, somebody that can fill in and be effective in those kind of in between the 10 and 15 minute mark that I'm looking for. So I think of anybody, this is probably just like good medicine for Budenholzer or just to get a better idea as we get to final stretch here, who is it that I'm going to be using? I think that's, a, I think that's a really um, smart point to make, especially. And when you, when you talk about going back and looking at him only running eight guys out in the playoffs, I feel like that it like the playoffs will be a really we'll take a bit of an adjustment period for a lot of Bucks fans. I mean, if you look at this team, it's hard to imagine only eight guys playing. I mean, I'm just like, obviously the five starters, um, we're going to go Sans Brogdon, but I mean, just on your bench, I mean, you have George Hill, Pat Connaughton, Ursan Ilyasova, Tony Snell, DJ Wilson, Sterling Brown, um, right off the bat. I mean, that's six guys who you would expect to probably get regular minutes, but if he's only running about an eight man rotation half of those guys won't even play. So I think um, I, I think you're totally you're making a really smart point in, in pointing out the fact that this will give Bud a chance to decide who he really thinks can hold their water in the playoffs. And um, I, I guess I it's it's a little disheartening uh, the fact that Miritich kind of he seemed to be hitting his stride at least in that that Lakers game had a little more chance to shine and score some additional points there. And it seems like his his fit would have been so natural into this team. And, you know, he's just kind of like a basically fulfilling that Ursa nearly silver role, but to a much larger degree, but it's too bad that he won't get a chance here to get regular rotation minutes, even down the stretch and feel like even more acclimated into this um, Bucks rotation. Right, Kyle? Sorry. Kyle agrees. Yeah. Sorry. My computer decided to freeze and I couldn't hear anything. What did he say? Yes. <laughs> oh, I was just, Oh, I was just saying that um, uh, Nikola Miritich, it's too bad that he's, um, that, that he's out because I mean, he got so few games to even like get acclimated to this pucks team. And it felt like he was, he probably still needed a little more time, at least to definitely get used to some of the defensive strategies. And, and with this read and react offensive system, I mean, I don't, I don't, it's I mean, even Giannis, like after an off season, basically was having a little bit of trouble finding his spots to start the season. So uh, it's too bad that he's not getting this additional chance here to get um, a little more run with, with these guys on the court in the lead up to the playoffs. Yeah. And it'll be tough just because, you know, maybe it might be a good thing because he was kind of in a mini slump before the injury. So maybe I'll give him a chance to clear his head. Um, him sitting on the bench and watching kind of the rotations, everything might give him a good idea. I'm sure he's going to sit there and sit with the players and coaches and they'll point stuff out to him or they'll realize it. And I think it, like it's a bummer, as you said, just not to get that run before the playoffs. But at the 
same time, it could help him understand the defense more, watching it from the side instead of being, you know, right in the middle of it and also giving him a chance to shoot his way, get his way out of the shooting slump. So, yeah. And I think part of it too, just because it's a hand injury, like he'll be able, I don't even know how much teams practice, not that much at this point, but if they do do any sort of like little scrimmages or even shoot around, he can still take part, obviously, without having to worry as long as they're not like whipping the ball over to him. But, I mean, obviously it's not ideal. Like you said, it would be great if he could actually be out there, but luckily it's not like an ankle injury where he can't even like participate in moving around within sets to kind of get an idea of where teammates go and things like that. Yeah, that makes sense. Do you guys have any thoughts at all on the Gasol injuries that just came across the wire yesterday that Gasol has a left ankle injury. He's going to expect to miss at least one month here. So he'll probably be out for maybe that first run of the playoffs. And who knows if he would even have gotten minutes regardless, but um, it it seems like... devastated i'm broken it's i'm just gonna curl up in a ball and cry a little bit and just crying shame crying shame i think i saw somewhere and there was no verification on this so take this with the largest grain of salt of all time (laughs) because i think i saw somewhere i was Uh, (laughs) well it was on twitter which is obviously a super reliable news source but i thought i saw an account with like DJ Wilson fan one two three four five tweeted something about uh, Mark uh, Pau Gasol being upset that he wasn't getting nearly as much run. Which, if there's any truth to that, DJ Wilson fan one two three four five, I don't know what Pau Gasol was expecting signing up with the team. I don't know what promises the team made, but uh, I will not mourn his loss. Hopefully, he's okay suiting up and being a pseudo coach, aka Jet. And hopefully, we don't have to rely on him for like 30 minutes in a game seven situation. So. Not just that to me. No, don't mention it. <laughs> oh, yeah. I forgot. Yeah, he went Harden over Giannis for MVP. How dare he? Yep. We don't sorry, have to talk sorry. about Jet. <laughs> no, not, 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 not mentioned for the, for the year. That's it. The... Riley, the fact that you uh, attributed that to DJ Wilson fan one two three four five, um, unbiased source there. So straight from uh, straight yeah, from I think <laughs> the location they were tweeting from was Vladivostok, Russia, which was a little strange <laughs> to me, but whatever. <laughs> like I'll, I'll take the info wherever I can get it. <laughs> wow, that is a that is a hot scoop. Well, we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna head out um, for a break after that uh, for an ad break here, and then we'll be back on the other side. We'll talk a little bit about. How the Bucks maybe should approach Giannis's lingering ankle injury here towards the end of the season. Um, an update on how uh, destroyed my collar is after Giannis got hurt uh, in terms of my my bet and my life and financial security. And then look <laughs> ahead to the week ahead. So uh, we'll be back right after this. All right, we're back. And <laughs> Kyle, uh, I, I think you brought up an interesting point that I think is uh, top of mind for Bucks fans, especially with this this ankle injury that um, obviously helped him miss uh, two games last week and then reared its ugly head again in that Miami game. He, of course, finished it out because his ankles are made of adamantium. How do you think that they should try and approach this towards the end of the season, knowing that, of course, the um, getting the first seed should be important, but the obviously the more important thing is having Giannis be healthy and ready to go come playoff time? Okay, first of all, well done on the pronunciation of that because I would have butchered it at least five times. So <laughs> let's just get that thrown out there. Um, <laughs> but in terms of the first seed, I think Milwaukee still will want the first seed. And I think Giannis will also want to try and help his team get that one seed and clinch home court advantage throughout the whole playoffs, not even just in the Eastern Conference. Um, right now, I think the Bucks' magic number is six going into Sunday's game. And if they win and Toronto loses, then it goes down to four. So if they can clinch that home court by 
you know, game 76, 77, that'd be ideal. You can rest Giannis for the rest of the season. Um, also, why, I don't know if he gets his ankles taped, but as someone that has broken his ankle once and sprained his ankle multiple times, you got to tape the damn ankles, okay? Like, I don't know what's going on with the training staff. Like, tape it as much as you can. Wear an ankle brace. I don't care what it, it just do that because I cannot handle another Giannis on the ground holding his ankle in pain. Even if, you know, he gets over it relatively quickly, my heart cannot handle it anymore. So, yeah, please tape it, put it in a cast. I don't care. Uh, <laughs> sorry. sorry yeah, okay. Suki Hobson, we know you're listening. Put on some <laughs> yeah. cast on there. Get him out there. Let's go. And I don't know if yeah. they tape it before the game, but at least tape it now for, for the remainder of the season. But now that I got sidetracked. Uh, also, the Bucks. I wouldn't be surprised if he plays less minutes. You know, it seems like the slate of games are going to get a little bit easier. Um, I know this week is not so much, but if he can, you know, go down to that 28 minute per game range, that'd be, I think that'd be good. Just, you know, we saw it in Miami, like once it got to the second half, Milwaukee's been able to pull, pull away, which has been the season, which has been the trend all season is Milwaukee's second half kind of goes into a Golden State-esque uh, performance. And then next thing you know, they're up 15 or 20. And that's when you can probably let Giannis play less, give Ursan and GJ Wilson a little bit more run. So that's how I would approach the Giannis injury. I still think the first seed is going to be too important for him not to play or at least play meaningful minutes. Yeah. And of course this is now the second week in a row where we are um, relying upon our, our own history with these injuries to certainly uh, help the buck staff and let people know um, specific diagnoses. Riley gave us that really important um, update on plantar fasciitis last week. So of course, rely on us, um, Buck Staff and Suki Hobbs. And of course, you know, you can you can tweet at Kyle Koche if yep. you need any advice on how to deal with the angles. <laughs> not a doctor. <laughs> yeah, not, not a doctor. Just but he does have a Twitter account. <laughs> <laughs> but does have a Twitter account. All right. Riley, you pulled out some interesting stats, though, about regarding the, the Bucks maybe uh, trying to get this first seed and, and the importance of locking that one up. Do you, you want to run through some of those? Yeah. So shocker everybody uh stop the presses just so you know having home court advantage is really important in the playoffs um <laughs> what a thought. yeah who would ever have guessed so i started my research by googling around and looking for other people who actually did the work to find the research um <laughs> and actually find the numbers so um, sourcing all of his information this week. <laughs> yeah. this is this is a little behind uh was it inside baseball is that the phrase that's what's going yeah. on with the podcast right now so this is some inside podcasting so um i kind of started over at 538 and they i can't remember who the author was so maybe i'll attribute that in a second once i pull up the article but essentially they had done a run a test of since for every game since the year 2000 and kind of seen like what kind of boost the home team generally gets for in terms of their winning percentage and they found that during the regular season they got a boost of about 9.8 percentage if you assume you're going to win about 50 percent of the games and then in the playoffs that shoots up to plus 14 percent so obviously there's that just raw number that kind of it proves out what we all assume and then looking at the way the bucks have performed at home versus on the road obviously everybody knows they're you know, awesome at home. They have an 82.8 winning percentage at home. It's only 65.8 on the road. So that's about a 17% boost at home, um, which, you know, even if you're 
still winning over 50% of your games on the road, you're still good. So there's that. But then I looked at Toronto at that same kind of number there. And since they're the only team that's really within striking distance, um, I believe I ended up determining that the difference between their home and away was about 17.5%. So it's a slight increase for them. But when you're looking at potentially needing every single card up your sleeve when you have maybe an injured rotation or a rotation you're still kind of putting together in the playoffs. You need every single little advantage you can. And obviously having home courts, not only throughout the East playoffs, but then into the finals. Well, if you're able to make it that far, um, I think keeping that all in mind, the way that you have to kind of use Giannis is don't change it up all that much between now and when you actually sync it up and actually have the one seed in hand, because even though there's a three game difference and yes, it's pretty close to insurmountable. The bucks still have, I think the 16th hardest remaining record. Um, and the Raptors have the easiest record left in the NBA. So, um, even though they'll be playing a couple of teams that still have something to play for in terms of playoff seating, they have an easier path heading forward where the bucks have a little bit harder one. Um, so in my opinion, I think you just keep on riding on us as best you can. And, um, once you get to that, like Kyle said, then you can kind of give them a rest off if he so desires. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Uh, I mean, the, the fact that he's constantly able to do this in games and then repeatedly come back no matter what, even though he seems to be lying on the ground in intense pain and then proceeds to score like 15 straight points and drive to the basket is incredible to me. But obviously Giannis's health should be of utmost importance. And I think they've done an incredible job this year of limiting his minutes compared to last year. Uh, it's, I think they're really in fantastic shape in terms of rest and recuperation just going into into the playoffs. And it's just an incredibly stark difference compared to years past where these guys, Chris, I mean, where Chris Middleton would like lead the league almost in minutes played per game. And Giannis would be right there alongside him. I mean, how, how nuts is that? That, that? that like Chris Middleton was like the leading, uh, one of the guys who was leading the league uh, in terms of minutes played. And this year, you know, Bud's doing a significantly better job of helping rest his minutes. And it helps that the Bucks are blowing teams out. Really? Well, also, oh, go ahead. I was going to no, say, I saw the stat where even if Giannis and Middleton were to play 48 minutes for the remainder of the season, I think this was at like right around the All-Star break or a couple weeks after, even if they had played 48 minutes per game, they'd still be lower than what they had last year, which is shocking. <laughs> that's just absolutely crazy. Uh, and, and as Riley outlined, I mean, there's myriad benefits of just getting that one seat, obviously uh, the primary advantage being that you have a stronger chance of hopefully winning with home court advantage. You have it in decisive game sevens. Uh, it looks like barring a, a complete collapse, hopefully the bucks will be able to secure that down the stretch here. As of this recording, they have a three game lead on Toronto. Um, and uh, I know, the Warriors just lost. I mean, should they should they be fortunate enough to even get to the finals? And if the Warriors are there as well, the Warriors just lost to Dallas as well. You know, destruction one twenty six ninety one. So, Bucks are in, are in good position to be able to have the best record in the NBA and secure home court throughout. And um, not only would they get uh, that home court advantage for hopefully benefits on the court, but I mean, plenty of benefits for Milwaukee as well. Just the fact that they'd be able to bring in uh, hopefully more. You know, hopefully if there's, you know, as longer a series goes, there'd be more sales at the gate, more people getting their eyes on Milwaukee. I just think it's, um, it would be a really cool thing if they're able to have that advantage. Cause I don't, I don't know the last time that they would have had home court advantage throughout the playoffs. Would it, would it have been like, Oh, one. Uh, yeah, I believe so. It sounds yeah. about right. So it's been almost yeah. two decades. Yeah. No well, big deal. It's about time. Yeah. That's, that's <laughs> yeah, <say> so. yeah. <laughs> then, you know, 
a couple a couple decades. It's fine. it's been a minute. It's been, if there's any proper way to use the phrase, it's been a minute. It's been a minute. Yeah. Uh, all right. Do you guys have anything, anything for else from this past week that you wanted to touch on before we just briefly look ahead um, to to the week coming up? I was going to say, um, cause we were just talking, I didn't get too deep into it. So I mm-hmm. just kind of looking at how they should utilize Giannis. Um, I think it's interesting over the last 11 games, he's only averaged 31.1 minutes a game, which is still below his season average of 32.9 and kind of looking at that and thinking about what's the strategy. I still advocate for having him play a bit, but maybe you try to dial back the number of possessions that go through his hands a little bit. So over that same 11 game stretch, he averaged about a 34.2% usage rate. And there were four losses in there. Two of them came when he had 39 plus usage rate against Philly and Utah. Both of them kind of strange or unique games in their own way. And they also lost two against San Antonio and Phoenix when he dropped lean, uh, excuse me, behind, uh, below 27.2% usage rate. So I think there's a sweet spot in there and you can kind of trend maybe closer towards the 27 or like low 30s and still maybe like we talked about this past week, Chris kind of get going a little bit and maybe get a couple other guys, especially if it's a rotation in fluidity right now because of the injuries. Um, And also just given Giannis's physical play style and how often he goes inside. And obviously as we talked about with his ankle tweaks. um, So I I think in general, if you can keep him out there, it's probably going to be similar ish minutes, but maybe just lighten up just a tiny bit if you can, but if not, probably not the end of the world. Yeah, and of course those those games where he's up around thirty nine percent usage. That's basically what James Harden has been averaging all season long. So that that tells you all, all you need to know about how much offensive creation was in his hands in those games. So Kyle, anything else from this past week that you want to touch on, or or should we look ahead? Um, I think it was just like I said with the injuries and kind of the situation for each of those games. It was kind of interesting where. You know, going into the Laker game, you weren't sure if you're going to have LeBron or Giannis, and then you ended up having neither. And the Bucks were relatively fine in that game, other than KCP going off. And then you had the Cleveland game, which, you know, that was also a shorthanded game. Middleton still playing well. Another odd game where, you know, nine out of 10 times Milwaukee wins. And then you kind of turn around and face Miami, a team that supposedly gives them fits, and they kind of just control the game from start to finish. So the, the situation of this week, kind of made it seem like things were worse than they actually were and going into i think the next two weeks it's going to be a lot of scoreboard watching between seeing how the raptors do seeing how golden state does or denver while also having a couple tough games with some cakewalks at the same time so it's going to be i think this week was just an odd week that we shouldn't read too much into but who knows people obviously we overreact a little bit too much at times uh speaking of overreactions i forgot to say dj wilson had an individual net rating of plus 61.2 against the miami heat on friday uh so keep that in mind everybody so what you're saying is most improved player MVP. correct yes and mvp (laughs) correct so i just so while urzan is out there with plus 26 just know that dj sees that and raises him with a plus 60 or plus 61.2 net rating yeah, DJ's the guy. Yeah, DJ always uses the advanced stats. He doesn't care about some of those basic. You know, basic <laughs> he's not, not counting stats, bro. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's yeah. He's sort of a. He's like a renaissance man. He gets that stuff. All right, let's move on and let's take a look at the week ahead. I'll do a quick update on how I'm feeling about my bet uh, that I made. Obviously, I announced last week that I put some financial um, backing behind thinking the Bucks might win the championship. Um, after I did that, the Bucks proceeded to have Malcolm Brogdon, Pogasol, and Nikola Miritich all get injured. 
So um, I'm not feel really good, guys. Time, but... Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I felt uh, I feel bad for Bucks Nation. I I think I caused them, so I'm sorry about that. But uh, at least for now, I still feel okay about the bet. And then the other thing we should definitely plug is this Bucks uh, Twitter bracket between Bucks personalities that's going on, organized by at June Foshiz, uh, who, who works over at uh, Cream City Central, of course, on Twitter. That's been a, a really fun thing to just see different factions of, of Bucks Twitter that maybe I wasn't familiar with and uh, maybe other people weren't familiar with. And it's a really fun thing to just kind of organize. And Kyle, I think you're facing you're facing Frank Madden in the <laughs> latest matchup, right? Yeah, congrats to Frank on his uh, round two dominating. <laughs> I'm just pulling a Cinderella, you know, Wofford. I'm just happy to have gotten past the first round feeling. <laughs> so I'm just going to, I knew once I saw the bracket, I was like, I have a tough first round matchup with former Brew Hooper, Brett. And then to turn around and have to play Frank in round two. Well, that that's my ceiling. That That's as far as I was going to get. It's the biggest David versus Goliath since David versus Goliath. We're watching history happen right now. <laughs> and then probably getting crushed like 83% to like 10 or something. Yeah, what would what would you be happy with in terms of percentage, Kyle, that you would say, yes, I take the L, but I'm happy with the number I got? 10%. If I get above okay. 10%, I'm calling out of for myself. You heard it here first, folks. we got to make it happen. Uh, Riley, who are you facing? I don't even know. Uh, I'm facing co-overlord of Brew Hoop, uh, Mitchell Maurer in the second <laughs> round. Oh, so, I should definitely know that. <laughs> yeah, so uh, no big deal. If, screw over Brew Hoop, my column. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Maybe I'll just make that my Monday morning column, just the case for me. Now, I would say um, I would be happy with a win, but I also would not be upset because uh, Mitchell is one half of a team that allows me to put out content. So, uh if he wins, I'm more than happy for you, Mitchell. Well, I think it's a win-win situation. It's going to be brew hoop irregardless, and that is always a great thing for me and for us and for the site. So I'm rooting on all of my brew hoop brethren that are able to advance in that in that thing. And obviously, Frank Madden. No offense, Kyle, but um, you know, if, if he wins it all, I'll feel fantastic as the. Oh as yeah, the- I'm expecting Frank to win the whole thing. Although I wouldn't be surprised if Matt Velasquez were to quietly just win the whole thing either. Guys, yeah, I'm no, right here in the podcast now. That's actually <laughs> I'm, I'm still here, guys. You don't have to. We can talk about my championship, you know, aspirations <laughs> next week, maybe. Who's your, um, who's your, well, is your grandma anything like that grandma that was cheering on Loyola last year? That old woman? Do you have anyone like that that you could maybe bring out? That might be. Uh, no, no, I don't nope. think so. <laughs> no. Okay. All right. I don't Sorry have a sister Jean in my corner. <laughs> All right. Uh, okay. Well, let's 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 move on then. Let's just take a quick look at the at the week ahead. We're recording this before the Cavaliers game. I made an executive decision thinking that game probably wouldn't matter. Excited for that to be wrong. Uh, <laughs> on Tuesday, the Bucks face off against Houston. MVP matchup: James Harden, Giannis Antetokounmpo. On Thursday, they face the LA Clippers, and then next Sunday, they face the Atlanta Hawks. Um, so let, let's take a let's just usually we just do a quick record, but let's take a quick breakdown of this this Houston game because I actually think it's going to be pretty interesting. My yeah. boss is a huge Houston Rockets fan. Last time I came in when they faced off, he decorated my desk with a bunch of Rockets uh, memorabilia. Um, so I'm pretty hyped up for that game, hoping that uh, Giannis might be able to... Um, this is... I mean, this... Riley, it's silly, but like I think this is going to be... It's, it's going to be annoying how large this probably looms in terms of the MVP... Uh, debate and narrative that's going to be coming up here. 
Well, first, before we get into that, so is is your co or your boss the Rockets fan? Like our version of Lockdown Bucks is Frank Madden's wife, who is a Rockets fan. Is that our equivalent here? <laughs> I, gu- I guess that's what we have. Yeah, we okay. have the we it's have like this, discount this... version. Yes, yeah, definitely discount version. He's a he's a great guy, but um, certainly don't. I'm not as close as Frank is with his wife. Dear yeah. God, <laughs> um, <laughs> might no. have to edit this out. <laughs> <laughs> okay um well with that being said no i would agree that it's going to be super annoying like the level of importance put on this rockets game and i mean obviously it is important just for the it, oh, god i can hear um what do we call ryan hollins is he ryan collins is that his nickname around here wait i, I don't know yeah, yeah, sorry. what his yeah. real name is <laughs> So uh, I could see him and his ilk like going in if the Bucks don't win, being like, this is why. And, you know, he who shall not be named who played for the team last year with a headband. Um, I think a lot of them will come out of this if the Bucks don't win or if Giannis doesn't have a great performance. Be like, see, I told you, James Harden, uses this is why you've got to vote him MVP. The way that I look at it, because, I mean, the Rockets are rolling right now. I think they've won nine of their last ten, um, and they've been working a lot of teams. And obviously Harden has kind of dialed back the offensive load since Paul returned, but uh, they're definitely a dangerous team. The way that I see that one going is kind of almost similar to the Philly game where um, the way I think the game that they played in Houston was like end of January. And this team looks quite a bit different, just the different pieces and now guys who are unavailable. Um, Cause I think Brogdon had a big game in that one as well. So what I anticipate is Giannis going crazy and probably having like close to another 50 point game, but I'm not sure if the bucks will fall short just cause they're missing, you know, too many contributors that would be important in a game like this. Yeah. Kyle, who do you think is the biggest candidate for Giannis to call a baby on the Rockets? You know, I still think it's going to be James Harden. Although Giannis did <laughs> drill a ball into his, Last time I forgot like, about that. Maybe, maybe he won't say it to James Harden again just because he'll just try and replicate that. But otherwise, I think the funny thing is if James Harden still scores 40 or 50, people are going to say, well, he's the MVP. Like if Harden scores, say, 45 points on, you know, 30 shots, but Giannis has like a quiet, like 21 point, 13 rebound, but the Bucks win, people are still going to say James Harden just because he's putting up the stats. And I'm, I'm just whatever about it, but I think that's going to be the interesting matchup just because I don't know if that's a nationally televised game. I'd be shocked if it was Yeah, wasn't. it's on TNT, I think. Oh, crap. Okay, <laughs> well, that's not going to make things better. But, yeah, I can still see you know Harden getting his points, getting his stats, and losing while people champion him as the MVP. Well, Giannis could score you know a typical Giannis game and get the win, or... If the Rockets win, it's a lose lose for Giannis because if he, unless he's outscores Harden and wins, I don't see any scenario in which the talking heads in the national media are going to say he's the MVP. But it is what it is. I'm not as concerned about that game. I'm more curious about that LA Clippers one just because the Clippers, they beat Milwaukee the last time. They're the team that's those are the kind of games where you have to win, you know, not beating Houston. Okay, that's understandable. Not beating the Clippers is a little bit more of an issue. And then the Hawks follow that. Like if you lose either of those games, that's I think a bigger concern to me than this Rockets game because Chris Paul is back. He wasn't in the first game while the Bucks don't have Brogdon and Miritich. So yeah, I think that's a good point. I mean, that and that that narrative that you laid out where James Harden really runs up the runs up his box score but the Rockets to lose is essentially what happened in the last game. James Harden went off for 42 points. 
11 rebounds and six assists, nine turnovers in that game, which is nuts for him. Shout uh, out Eric defense. <laughs> one sixteen to one hundred nine, yeah, one sixteen to one hundred nine. The Bucks win that one. Giannis had twenty seven points, twenty one rebounds. Holy yikes! Uh, five assists in that one. And like like you were saying, Riley, I mean, the absence of Malcolm Brogdon will certainly be felt. Just twenty four, he had twenty four points in that game, finished a plus twenty. So he was obviously a huge presence. Brooke Lopez only had seven, um, but more importantly, like he held Clint Capella to just four of sixteen shooting from the floor, which was really impressive. He had all he had a lot. Clint Capella had a lot of trouble finishing that night. I remember so. That'll probably be the marquee game of the week. Let's let's go on to predictions then. Uh, we're not going to pick this the, the Cavs game, obviously, because it's already done by the time you hear this. So uh, for those three games, Houston, Clippers, and the Hawks, where do you have them? How do you have them finishing, uh, Riley? I went 2-1. and one. I think they're going to lose to the Rockets, but I think they'll grab up Ws against the Clippers in Atlanta. Atlanta, because... They're in a weird spot, but they're sort of tanking, but not really, but they're not that great of a team. And then the Clippers, they've won. They've also won nine of their last 10, but a lot of those teams were not great teams. Like a lot of them are like bad Eastern teams or like bubble teams. So I think they'll be able to secure the W. And I think they played them close when they went out West, but that was part of a long West Coast road trip. So I think being at home, they'll be able to do it. Kyle, what do you got? I'm so torn. I want to say 3 and 0 I'm sticking with three and all. I <sighs> I have. One of these waiting for you to go like, all right, I'm gonna go one and two. <laughs> you know, it's probably gonna take knowing Giannis won't play the games to change my mind on that. And even then, I still might say 500. But I just think Milwaukee is going to. I think Milwaukee having home court is going to benefit them for the Houston game. I think LA, you know, it took a lot of odd stuff for them to win including a last second shot from Lou Williams. And then Atlanta's playing better, but you know, I, I think Bledsoe can still match up with Trey Young pretty well. I, I think that's going to be the key thing is Eric Bledsoe playing better this week than he did last week. And I, and also shooting better. So I got to stay on brand. I got to stay with the hype trade three and oh. Hype train is rolling for Kyle. I'm going to go two and one. I think they're going to beat the Rockets, beat the Clippers, but I think they're going to drop that game in, in Atlanta. Maybe Giannis it might will be a sit, rest game. Yeah, yeah. It's a weird eleven thirty start on a Sunday. Uh, I, I don't know. That's just that's just a, that's always a really really odd time. You just never know what to expect when a game starts that early. These guys is, these guys bodies are so conditioned to play at night. So I'm going to go two and one. Um, all right, guys. Well, I think that's going to do it for this week of the podcast. Obviously, just a, a absolutely incredible slate of games we had to break down. Um, so we're glad you guys stuck around with us. Uh, make sure to rate and review the podcast. If you like it, um, five stars for favor, uh, or whatever you think is fair and go make sure to go to brewhoop.com. We'll have stuff there all week. Follow the at brew hoop account, uh, rate and vote for our brew hoopers in the bucks, Twitter bracket and, uh, stay tuned and we'll be back in your ears again next week. Thanks again for listening. On the streets of old Milwaukee, a young boy walking